friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney, and we're recording today here in lovely Amiskwichiwaskagan, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta. So, municipal politics. You know, people like to say that, you know, municipal politics is the, the level of politics that touches the most people. You know, garbage collection, parks, playgrounds, recreation centers, libraries, you know, that kind of thing. And, and people aren't wrong. But uh, it's also you know, just an incredibly important level of, of politics beyond kind of the, the level, the, the kind of day-to-day -day humdrum services that they provide. They're a proving ground for, you know, important ideas. And we're even having this kind of national or even um, international discussion about defunding the police, which is happening at the municipal level. And uh, to talk about kind of municipal political issues and to kind of walk us through both the issues, both here in Edmonton, as well as in Calgary, and that's the expertise that our guest provides, uh, we have uh, Romy Garrido as our guest. Uh, Romy has worked in municipal politics, community organizing, and is a commentator on equity and migration issues. Romy, welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you? Uh, doing okay, doing okay. Today's been a bit of a day, uh, but uh, I am happy to get on the pod and chat in municipal politics. Let's do it. So, okay, so the big thing that is kind of dominating the discussion around municipal politics is recent changes introduced by the UCP. So they've come in with Bill 29, you know, the otherwise called the Local Authorities Election Amendment Act, which makes significant changes to how municipal elections in Alberta will work. And, and just to be clear, you know, the next municipal election in Alberta, kind of across the province, will be relatively soon. We're talking fall of next year, uh, October, whatever the third Monday is in October 2021. And um, this amendment, these changes that the UCP have brought in are on top of changes that the NDP brought in uh, as well. So it, it, it gets a little bit kind of sticky unraveling all of these things. But, um, but let's get into it because it is important and these changes uh, are going to change how our elections work. So, okay, the biggest thing that I think is worth talking about off the top, and that's a change that the NDP brought in, which the UCP are not amending, and that is no more corporate or union donations in municipal elections. This now means that uh, all levels of government, Alberta, federal, provincial, and municipal now have this rule. Romy, how do you think this changes how candidates will raise money? How do you think this changes the dynamics of municipal politics in Alberta? Yeah, so I mean, on on the surface, it seems like Banning corporate and union donations together is a good thing. Uh, and, I, and I celebrated it as a good thing, I think, when the NDP brought those changes in in 2018. But now the UCP is changing things on the other side and allowing more flexibility with individual donations, which I'm sure we'll talk about You know the, the impacts of that. Um, but really all that it's doing now is it's keeping those donations banned, uh, but it's just shifting the money to the owners of corporations. And, and I just want us to think about that for a second, because we know, you know it's pretty obvious, the owners of businesses and large corporations have money. Uh, it's not just their business, they individually are profiting and are wealthy. Okay, so what about unions? Um, that doesn't really apply. You know, we don't have rich union leaders as much as maybe some in the opposition would like to make it appear that way. We just don't. Uh, union leadership, it's not on the same scale. Union members are definitely not on the same scale as corporate owners. So now, sure, union and corporate donations are banned and we're treating them like they're the same thing. But the short end of the stick ends up with unions. And now corporate owners are going to get to donate tons of money to all their favorite candidates. And uh, what's left for progressives and, and people that don't have that kind of disposable income? Yeah, I think you make a good point. Like the discourse around, oh, we're banning union and corporate donations does kind of place them on a level playing field. But like, well, one, corporations always donated far more than unions. <laughs> and two, exactly. the, the owners of these corporations uh, uh, hoard and have access to far more wealth than the leaders, the democratically elected leaders of these uh unions of these labor organizations. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, strictly speaking from like, a, I don't know, like a, like a nerd point of view, like I, I get to know exactly when I dig through these disclosures, which I do a lot of um, both in my spare time and for articles I'm writing, mm. uh, I get to know who exactly is donating, which kind of removes that one layer of obfuscation and, and also no more kind of like numbered corporations donating, which is like always been kind of sketchy. Mm. Um, so it's like, it's like, it's not a bad thing. Uh, obviously I would, I would, I don't want unions and, and corporate 
I don't want corporate donations at all. I think the union uh, donations is kind of far overblown and isn't a very good use of union money anyways, I would argue, mm -hmm. from a kind of a purely strategic point of view. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I'm glad that they didn't change it because I think if they changed it, it would have you know, drastically kind of changed the dynamics and really wouldn't have made any sense to have municipal politics be the only level of government that has corporate and union donations be allowed. So anyways. Totally. No, and I, I agree. But then it's just tipping the scale, though, to the individual donor. I mean, what should have happened is, yeah, ban corporate and union donations, but then make it a bit harder for wealthy individuals to be able to donate tons of cash because now what's going to be happening is that candidates will be looking to the highest bidder to fund their campaigns, right? Like everyday people don't have $5,000, which is now the limit to throw around. And, you know, I, I struggle to just donate a hundred dollars myself to, to any sort of cause, um, let alone 5,000. And now that that limit's been lifted to all candidates you can donate to as many as you want that's ridiculous yeah that's an excellent segue to the next which which i think is the biggest and most kind of uh, important change that was made in the legislation that the ucp brought in the the way the ndp had structured it you had a maximum cap you were only donate able to donate four thousand dollars total to any city councilor candidate across alberta uh now <laughs> thanks to the changes brought in by the ucp those uh those rich people and, and uh, kind of owners of corporations and extreme, incredibly wealthy people are now able to donate $5,000. So a slight bump in the, in the amount, as well as they're able to uh, donate that amount to as many candidates as they want, which again, only affects a small handful of like wealthy developer shitheads, right? Yeah, it, it does. But I mean, the amount of cash that they can wield around is huge because I mean, in Calgary, if you do the math, so that means that if you've got $75,000, you could actually donate those to an entire slate of, uh, I'm going to assume in this case, conservative candidates that are, uh, you know, putting out business interests and, and that sort of policy that, that would appease to your own interests, right? Um, so it's an incredible amount of money. It, sure, it's a few, but <laughs> it's going to tip the scales again. And the other thing I've been focusing on, which not a lot of people have caught for some reason, even though it was in the presser, it's been an explicit point, is that now candidates can self-fund up to $10,000 for their campaigns per year. So not only do we now have big money from the donation side, but we're also going to have possibly really wealthy candidates, because, I mean, in theory, per year, you'd think that's within the election period, which they've said is only one year, but there's no specification that it's during the campaign period. There's a loophole, and it actually says per year in the presser and in the legislation. So, I mean, if you think about it, that's, what, $40,000 of self-funding per year? Who has that kind of money? I don't. I know a lot of people don't. So wealthy donors and wealthy candidates. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a bit of a loophole. $10,000 per year self-funded that you're just able to throw into your campaign account. Uh, that's a lot of money. And I, they're trying to spin it as this like, oh, we want we want new candidates. To, we want people to win and, and incumbents to lose. And it's like, I don't know, if I was an incumbent, I would just put $10,000 a year into my campaign fund because I know an election's coming up and the rules say that I can. The other loophole that I think also has been talked about very much is they've raised the amount that you can raise in the off season from $2,000 to $5,000. And I believe they've added the per year language as well. So you can raise, so you can go and have a fundraiser, go have like a rubber chicken dinner, raise $5,000 every year uh, that's not the election year. And so you say you've put $4,000 into your, but say you put $40,000 into your uh, into your kitty from your own personal fortune, and then you've gone and had fundraisers every year, another 20, that's $60,000 you're starting with before the like election period has even begun. Yeah, exactly. No, and I, and I mean, in Calgary, I'm sure in Edmonton, this happened too, but uh, smaller, relatively unknown candidates that are going against incumbents, which is the thing that the UCP said they're trying to fix. I mean, some of their campaigns were under $5,000. That's all they could scrounge up. So giving other people a $60,000 head start uh, in the name of making things a level playing field, that's, I don't know, is it disingenuous? Is it, is it, is it evil? I can't really tell what, what the intention here is. But, um, but it's, I mean, it's certainly not leveling the playing field. That's for sure. I mean, I'm happy to step in with my own analysis. I mean, they're making it easier for their candidates to win. I mean, ultimately, that's why this this legislation has been brought in, right? It's like 
they talk to their buddies who are in municipal politics and they're like, we're going to change the rules. And this is what they came up with. Like, I don't think that there's any way to spin it that they wouldn't be doing this for their own kind of like, uh, like reasons for, for their own allies to win. Right. And I think, um, you know, when you look at the way that they've changed the rules, it, it, it inherently um, kind of advantages rich people. It, it, the the whole spin around incumbents is like ex- extremely bad faith and just disingenuous bullshit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, and and so like it's it's just I mean the UCP are kind of unabashedly. I mean the one thing you can say about the UCP is that they are unabashedly in politics. One to win and two to kind of tilt the playing field to their own interests as much as possible. And kind of that's what's happened here, right? Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, on, in that same vein, they're talking about how they're leveling the playing field because the old rules would allow incumbents to win. But I mean, we haven't actually had an election yet with these so-called old rules that the NDP put in in 2018. So what they did is they made this look a lot like the even more older rules, the ones that actually allowed for incumbents to have an advantage. So it's just a bunch of bullshit at the end of the day. You're right. I, I don't know why I, I tried to give them the, <laughs> the benefit of the doubt. I think I always try, um, but I end up pretty sad and disappointed at the end. So, No, you got to be extremely cynical about the UCP. Like their political project <laughs> is, is one that is like, you know, it's it's damn the torpedoes, you know, burn the world. Let's get rich while we burn the world. And like they will they will tilt every table they will put every thumb on the scale like they're they're shameless and they have been since they've come in they've only been in for a year and kind of look at the damage they've already caused right yeah i guess i just i don't know i i wish they were just a bit more honest about their insidiousness but anyway i guess that's politics mm-hmm. so okay so one thing i'm curious about i i, I grew up in calgary but i i left calgary in 2009 I, i'm curious like who are the big spenders on municipal politics, uh, who are the people who are kind of most concerned about putting friendly faces in City Hall? Yeah, I, the story is as old as time, right? It's It doesn't change, I think, between cities. Um, but if we're being specific, you know, it's obviously a lot of developers and, and usually the suburban developers are the ones wielding the most cash. Uh, and there's also just more of them in a sprawling city like Calgary. Um, so, I mean, when we think about big spenders that will probably benefit from these rules. I immediately think of like Cal and Shane Wenzel um, with Shane Holmes that are known to uh, really insert themselves in municipal politics in the past. I mean, they they sued Nahid Nenshi and um, have done a, a bunch of other stuff and allied themselves with other people in the game. Um, I, we always think about, you know, people involved in the stampede, um, the owners of the flames because of their interests in, in a new arena. Uh, and then recently we just saw it in a campaign against uh, public transit, right? Like multimillionaires like Jim Gray uh, and some of his other UCP linked friends, interestingly enough, like Steve Allen. Steve Allen, Steve Allen baby, our friend from, exactly. the, from Public Inquiry. Exactly. He's been too, he's been too busy uh, trying to stop uh, public transit from getting going uh, to actually do his homework and figure out that uh, if that conspiracy theory that Jason Kenney's talking about is real or not. <laughs> right, right. I almost forgot about that. Um, yeah. Well, no, they've they've got so much work ahead of them, and uh, boy, do they work fast. So. Yeah, no, they were they were really involved with the Green Line campaign uh, in Calgary, which I know you folks talked about in in your past podcast episodes, and um and and they lost, but boy, they did put a big fight because they hired you know a, um, a PR firm, and they were pumping out Facebook ads like there's no tomorrow. Um, so that was just an, a small taste, an example of what, you know, kind of third party advertising can look like uh, when there's big money involved. Yeah, they spent a lot of money and took up a lot of space uh, on that green line discussion, right? And something that was like, something that they lost kind of terribly on, like even even their so-called like proponents like uh, Davidson and Gondek or whatever ended up. Uh, eventually voting for the green line as it was supposed to be built. But but I, I, you're right in that I think it does offer a, a useful window into the kind of third-party campaigns that we are going to see in this upcoming municipal election. And there have been recent changes to law that have been brought in, not specifically in this Local Authorities Election Act, but in other legislation that Kenny has brought in uh, just in this rec- most recent session that change how the rules work around third-party campaigns. And those are that's uh, incredibly important because um, – Again, there are incredibly wealthy people who want to have their own political goals and political projects that they want to see realized. And 
even even if they spread around, you know, even if they spend the max on every candidate and the mayoral candidate, uh, that's still only five thousand dollars per. They still have more money burning a hole in their pocket, and they're going to want to run. Uh, you know, they're going to want to run advertising. They're going to want to see their political goals realized. And and what do you think is the likelihood that we are going to see these kind of big spending, you know, uh, super PACs or third party advertisers in the the next municipal election in in Calgary? Mm, Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, So uh, as I understand it, I think the rules are, are lifted now so that third party advertisers can spend way more right uh, i think it was 100,000 exactly and the original cap was 150,000 um but there's a bit of a caveat there too that you only have to register as a third party advertiser if you're talking about candidates right so if you're just going to do issues campaigning just like the green line you know anti public transit campaign where you're not really personally attacking or promoting anybody you don't have to register as a third party advertiser so it seems like it's like the wild, wild west where it's free reign and they'll be able to do whatever the hell they want and spend however much the hell they want, which is super scary. As you said, they've got lots of money uh, burning holes in their pockets, several holes, and they're going to be poking a lot more holes into the municipal campaigns um, and trying to influence public thought. And I don't know. I, I think there's also a bit more to say in terms of what that will be. Uh, looking like and rolling out with the uh, equalization vote that the referendum exactly yeah so i don't know if you want to go there yet or i I definitely have some thoughts on third parties like i think we definitely saw a lot of third party advertising in the lead-up and during the provincial election that happened last year and i think that was a trial run for what we're going to see here in the municipal elections in both edmonton and calgary like I, I think the conservatives definitely have their eyes on Edmonton City Council and the Edmonton mayor, mayor chair, in uh, in that um, they want to win and they they see Edmonton as you know they lost here provincially and they are going to raise and pour a ton of money into Edmonton municipal races as well as uh, if they find a candidate they like for the mayor seat they will pour a ton of money into that uh, in a third party. Like I firmly believe that we are going to see big third party spending here in Edmonton. Uh, to try and get conservative candidates elected simply because it is the kind of like last, like it is the orange stronghold here when you kind of look at the electoral map and, and purely from like a, uh, from a provincial electoral politics play, I think we're very likely to see big money rolling into Edmonton politics just for those reasons. Um, I don't think that Edmonton city council is this like incredible vanguard or defense against uh, UCP <laughs> or provincial government austerity um, just to be clear. Uh, but, uh, but uh, these, the UCP are nothing if not kind of incredibly greedy. And I think Edmonton is likely to be uh, seen as a, as a, I think Edmonton is going to be a target for them when it comes mm-hmm. to Calgary too. Again, there's just so much money sloshing around that. Uh, and there's just so much, so many grifters willing to like make pitches and to like, you know, say that uh, promise the moon when it comes to, you know, these third parties that like, there's just, there's going to be money uh, raised. There's going to be money spent. Uh, whether it's going to be useful, it, you know, it's obviously way too early to tell. I kind of am generally ambivalent about kind of big advertising campaigns, mm. but, um, but I think we're going to see them, you, you know, whether, whether I think they're effective or not, I think they're, I think we're definitely going to be talking about them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, and you know what? I, I actually, I do think that municipalities in Alberta um, and specifically Calgary and Edmonton are a bit of a thorn in the side of the UCP, right? Like they're, they're nonpartisan. They're a bit of a mixed bag. They've got some allies, but overall, I mean, again, the, the Green Line vote uh, went in a way that I would argue the UCP probably didn't want it to go. Um, I, I don't know that I'd go as far as saying that there were UCP insiders that were a part of, you know, the whole uh, public transit campaign uh, opposition, just because I think it's just must, it's much simpler than that, right? It's like development interests um, and, and folks wanting to make the train and public transit go to places where it's going to boost their property values kind of thing. Um, but, but of course, I'm sure Kenny would have loved to have not funded that right and and have a little bit more money to work with provincially so um but anyway my point is that i do think that the calgary 
uh, Council and Edmonton, they're a bit more progressive than the UCP would like. And so if they could get everybody on side and just elect a slate of their own candidates, then they don't have to worry about them. Mm-hmm. And, and to go back to the third party stuff, I, you kind of brought it up like this, this referendum on equalization that Kenny has, has said is now going to happen and is very likely going to be happening, overlapping with the municipal election is uh i mean it's it's transparently a way to kind of have a municipal election that's not about municipal politics right and and jason kenny kind of very famously won the last provincial election not by necessarily running against rachel notley but by running against trudeau Hmm. and uh and i think you know he would much rather have his kind of uh his municipal proxies run against trudeau again it's trudeau is incredibly unpopular here in alberta he's a very useful boogeyman for them and he'd rather run a municipal campaign that or be a part of a municipal campaign that, that focused on Trudeau rather than like the brutal austerity that he is, you know, enabling uh, and enacting on both Edmonton and Calgary. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I think Nahed Nenshi was quoted as saying that it's going to be disrespectful uh, to to run a, a referendum during a municipal campaign because, you know, of course, uh, the obvious thing is that it'll be the main issue and it's going to overshadow local politics. But I'm looking at, you know, the third party advertising rules and how it's going to be a lot easier for, um, you know, third party advertisers, PACs, unions, corporations, whatever, to to be able to run on issues and um, and not on candidates. And, and then I'm thinking about, you know, this equalization referendum. And I, I think disrespectful is putting it incredibly lightly. I think they're cooking up a perfect storm. It seems pretty insidious um, that, you know, you're allowing for third party advertisers during a a referendum, um, you know, to be able to say whatever the heck they want, because there's just no regulations and and spending as much as they can. Um, So what I'm predicting that's going to happen is that it's not just going to overshadow local politics, it's going to overpower, right? Like they're absolutely going to suck all the air out of the room. And the worst part, I think, is that uh, issues that are incredibly important, you mentioned them in the intro of this episode, you know, things like transit, right? Um, Just equitable public services that really are tangible and make a difference in people's lives. Those are out the window for next election because the equalization question is going to force all candidates to have to talk about that. I can't imagine people understanding the difference. They don't know the difference right now. Um, And you don't expect people to, right? They're just trying to live their lives. And (laughs) they mentioned the different uh, powers of different levels of government and what, like social studies 20 um, was a long time ago for different people. And so they're not going to know the difference that we're not focusing on municipal issues and that provincial is completely taking over. Yeah, exactly. Um, The, uh, the, the question here uh, is, is will, will he get away with it? And, and I think, um, I think he will, like, I think he's going to uh, unmistakably tr- and try and take over this municipal election cycle by talking about tr- the Trudeau and equalization. And just to be clear, I, I mean, I probably don't have to belabor it for the audience of this podcast, but a, a referendum on equalization in Alberta means exactly jack shit and has no effect on anything that the federal government does when it comes to equalization and totally. anything. Anybody who says otherwise is, is an idiot who is lying to you. It's completely useless. Yeah. I mean, we've got, so many experts, even you know, economists that we would think would might be more on the side of conservative politics are, are just shouting through the rooftops that this is going to be a giant waste of money. It's not going to make a difference whatsoever. Um, but yet, yeah, it's going to be just another proxy provincial election where everyone's going to be talking about this, Alberta versus Trudeau. Uh, no one's going to give a fuck about things like public transit um, and the, you know, the topics that are super important today like defunding the police and and just making a more equitable just city not at all yeah exactly so there's a couple more things that i want to talk about in the legislation and then i kind of want to get into the specifics of calgary and empton because i think there's uh some rich texture you do find characters in municipal politics good and bad oh yeah um so uh, the thing that kind of nenshi has been lighting his hair on fire 
about and thing he thing he called the enormous mistake is uh, the part of the legislation that changes uh, disclosure of donors before election day. This is something Nenshi has been kind of uh, very keen to talk about. He's done it in all his campaigns. He's disclosed his donors before E-Day. Um, what's your take on, on this change? I mean, yeah, it's bad. Um, but is it as bad as he's saying it is? No, I think, I don't know. I, I think we're, you and I are probably on the same page. It's it's more inside baseball. Like, yes, it's, it makes things, um, or rather it, it takes away transparency um, from municipal politics. But uh, the amount of people that actually go through uh, candidate donations is, I would wager, pretty small. I don't know the, the realistic stats behind it. But um, yeah, like people, people kind of have a good sense of who's supporting who based on just some of their campaign points, right? Like if you're pro-suburban development, then very likely you've got those allies behind you funding your campaign. Um, so I don't know. I, I I understand where he's coming from. Yeah, is it shitty? Absolutely. But uh, is it the biggest sticking point out of all of this? No. Uh, the biggest sticking points are all the things that you and I have been just talking about. Um, but, you know, that requires a little bit more speculation and political analysis that maybe, you know, Nahid Nenshi uh, shouldn't be doing as an elected official, or maybe he should. Maybe he should. Yeah. I mean, I, I would rather know rather than wait six months to know prior to. I would rather know prior to election day than wait six months to know who funded a campaign. But yeah, like, does it move votes? Is it ultimately super important to the results of an election? Uh, I don't believe so. And mm. um, and yeah, and like Nancy's kind of made a big deal of it, and it's it's a stupid thing to repeal. Like the the spin from the UCP about why they made this change is like very dumb. It's like, oh, we want candidates oh, yeah. to focus on the important act of getting elected, and it's like, oh, who gives a shit? Like if you're if you're keeping track of your donations, which you have to anyways, like it's it's like, oh, you've got a deadline and you've got to get some paperwork in. Like you've got volunteers and a team. Like it's not a big deal to disclose who your donors are prior to E Day. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I think we're almost wrapped up talking about there's there's one final change to the Local Elections Act that is worth bringing up. And, and it's a change I can only assume that the chartered accountants of Alberta lobbied heavily for. And that is that candidates who raise or spend more than $50,000 in a municipal campaign are now required to have a chartered accountant review their financial statements before submitting them. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, that I, that sounds like it'll bring transparency to the process, but uh, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about how it, it'll bring a little bit more business to those folks. I wonder if they, uh, yeah, are they struggling? What, what's your take? I don't have a take on this one. I think it's silly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very silly. It's, I mean, good, good for the chartered accounts of Alberta to get a little bit more work. Uh, <laughs> and ultimately, like it is like, you should clear up any problems that campaigns have in regards to, to uh, getting their financials in proper order. Like, I don't know, I've been, you've been a part of campaigns. I've been a part of municipal campaigns. Like it's ultimately, it's, it's not too difficult to track who is donating and how much. And that's all that really needs to be disclosed. Um, but uh, it is very funny. And uh and uh, okay, and then the, the kind of the final wrap up question on the the issues of these legislative changes to how our local elections work is, you know, how do you think these changes ultimately help uh, conservative candidates win? Right, like that is ultimately why I believe the le- legislation has been brought in. So, like, why don't we just kind of like do that final rundown of how this helps uh, kind of conservative candidates kind of win? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Besides what I talked about before, which I I really predict is going to be a just massively important that they're going to suck all the air out of the room by issues that are important to uh, people like yourself and myself that care about equity and justice are just are not going to be on the table whatsoever. Um, But, you know, there's some political commentators and journalists who've been, I think, correctly predicting uh, that it's just also going to bring out, you know, a, a turnout of maybe different kinds of people that wouldn't come out to vote for their local elections, but are just They've got an axe to grind with Trudeau, and they don't even understand why, which is the worst part. Um, And that's why I think the third party advertising is going to be just so insidious, because there's nothing that has to hold you to giving out the right information. Right. Like we all know that the equalization thing, um, for some reason, is complicated to both explain and understand. And people are mad for the wrong reasons because they don't understand it. And they're they're going off of erroneous information or oversimplified information. And you really think that third party advertisers and conservative PACs are going to try to uh 
you know, divulge this information in a correct way? Probably not. They're just going to be talking about how, you know, this is unfair for Alberta and, you know, we're the ugly duckling and it's time to get some fairness out of Ottawa, blah, blah, blah. Just trying to rile, rile up their base rather. And, uh, and, and hopefully, I think in their point of view, uh, bring out more conservative voters that will elect likely a conservative slate that I'm thinking the UCP is probably setting up already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a bunch of things in this legislation, in these changes that I think tilt the scales towards uh, helping elect uh, kind of more conservative city councillors. Like one is the, uh, you know, the ability of conservative candidates to go out and raise money from rich people. Those, those rich people are now able to give the max donation to multiple candidates. And uh, and really that only kind of helps uh, either rich, inco- either only other helps incumbents or kind of um, conservative candidates who are able to raise money from ultra rich developers. Uh, yes, you're entirely correct. The, the third party stuff advantages uh, conservatives in exactly the points you reason. Like it, it is very likely to raise turnout. It is very likely to raise turnout for the people who give a shit about Trudeau. Like turnout in municipal elections tends to be the lowest out of all levels. And uh, there are a variety of reasons for that, uh, I think. But but uh, if you've got kind of the provincial you know, political machine, uh, especially the conservative one kind of bearing down on municipal politics, it is it is definitely going to raise turnout. It's definitely going to raise turnout for uh, people who give a shit about Trudeau and equalization, who are very unlikely to vote for kind of good uh, municipal candidates. Um, the other things we talked about, like the ability to, to self-fundraise, the, the, the rules around that, I think are very kind of like only really help, you know, rich incumbents. The spin around uh, trying to get... Um, uh, you know, upstart candidates to win is kind of just bullshit spin. Uh, yeah, it's 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 battle round, and uh, you know you hate you hate to see it, but uh, this is the reality <laughs> of Alberta. We hate to see it, uh, but yeah, you know what? We can't give up hope, though, right? Like right. The, the 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 rules have always been stacked against progressives, against leftists. Um, so I think that's just par for the course. It's going to make it an uphill battle for sure, but just means all the more that we have to come out and, and keep rallying our own troops and organizing more progressive leftist people to elect better people. Exactly. And on that end, uh, let's get into the kind of uh, the things that we need to be paying attention to in the Calgary race. Are there any uh, races to watch in Calgary where do we have any kind of like uh, bright leftist candidates to kind of support or talk about or even contemplate uh, going into this next municipal election cycle. Mm. And Calgary anyway, it might be a little too early to tell. There's been some recent announcements of people that are you know not running again that have been incumbents um, in the past. But uh, not a lot of, you know, all-stars. Actually, I think there's more worry about what's going to happen next because there's rumors that Nahed Nenshi won't be running again, that this last election was his last one. Um, so, yeah, there, there's really... It's funny that I talked about we can't give up hope. Things are looking a little bit grim. <laughs> um, but well, it might just be well, too early to tell. I don't know. Let's get into the uh, the horse race politics, the municipal election roundtable, uh, which is definitely going to be the graphic for this uh, podcast, by the way, the the Simpsons uh, municipal roundtable graphic. Uh, I don't know if it's immediately in your brain, Romy, <laughs> but I will, I will send it to you after the pod. Uh, so is Nancy going to run again? What's your what's your view there? Well, uh, so rumor has it that he he's not. Um, but I think a lot changes in just a year. Right. So I think halfway through this term, uh, you could tell he's tired. Um, you know, he's, he's been fighting a lot of battles and he doesn't really have a ton of allies on council too, which makes things a lot harder. So is he going to run again? Um, I don't think so. But I think this whole UCP hoopla uh, election rules and then possibly not seeing somebody else that could take your place that you have confidence will do a good job. Um, I think might actually push him over the edge and he might run again. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. When you look at, at Edmonton, it's, uh, I mean, no one knows what Don Iveson is planning on. Uh, he is two terms in his mayor. He's, he's, a, he's had two terms as a city councilor. He's had two terms as a mayor uh, for, I don't know, more than 10, 12 years or so as an elected official. I think he got elected when he was 28 years old, which by the way is a giant red flag. Anyone getting elected in their twenties? Uh, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that is the big domino to fall in both cities, I think, right? Like where the 
when the mayor's race, whether the incumbent mayor decides to run again or not, I think determines a lot of whether there's going to be a lot of open seats because there are a lot of councillors jockeying for position. And who who in Calgary do you think is uh, jockeying for that mayor's chair who's currently on city council? Oh, that's exactly it. Like you just took the words out of my mouth. It, it changes everything. It's like a domino effect, right? So um, I think if, if Nahid decides not to run again, uh, for some reason, it's always more like the newbies that have a lot more energy that get pretty excited about being on council their first term, um, think they're taking on the world and making like a huge difference. And so they think that they can also go for the mayor's chair. Um, clearly, I'm speaking of everybody on council and in municipal politics in a very good, uh, non-jaded light, as you can tell. <laughs> but there, there's actually some good people on there. So maybe I should cool it. But um, so we're thinking of, you know, people like Jody Gondek. Uh, I don't know if your listeners are, are really that familiar with Calgary uh, municipal yeah, politics. Yeah, we got a lot of Calgary. We have, we're split pretty evenly. We're like 60-40 Edmonton Calgary. Nice. Okay. So I'll just drop names and hope that everybody knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> but yeah, we've got Jody Gondek. And we've got people like Jeff Davison, um, whom some people may have not heard of a ton. Uh, but he's mostly made the news because of the arena vote and also Mr. because... Mr. Arena Man, right? Mr. Arena Man, exactly. And then also he was quite allied with the whole anti-public uh, transit, anti-green line campaign too. So that was not a good look. Um, but yeah, him and Jyoti Gondek and then possibly Willie, not a lot of progressives around the table looking at the mayor's chair, though. That's the unfortunate part. Yeah, and there's no seemingly like kind of outside of city politics person that I would I would call a leftist that is eyeing up the mayor's chair either that I've heard of. And it's not that I've necessarily beat the bushes or, or as connected as you are to Calgary politics, but. Uh, no, you're on but, the money. Yeah, exactly. There's nobody that's non-involved. That's also like a superstar or anything. And actually I would argue the same thing for right-wing politicians too, or, or would be, there's nobody. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's strange that the, some, I guess every, every, almost every freaking UCP MLA won their race in Calgary. Right. So there's no like, you know, unsatisfied, dissatisfied, angry UCP candidate. True. <laughs> and what's his face? Tom Olson, who was one of the few to lose in Calgary, already has a, a sweet six-figure job where he doesn't have to do very much. So. Oh, I forgot about him. Thanks for reminding me. War room, me. baby. War <laughs> room. Um, and uh, I mean, in Edmonton, it's very much the same, right? Uh, no one knows what Iveson is going to do. The people who are eyeing up the mayor's chair are existing councillors. Uh, Mike Nickel, who is uh, a bit of a joke and a bit of a kind of like poorly made meme machine up here in Edmonton. Uh, he is uh, definitely <laughs> running for mayor, whether Iveson steps down or not. Um, okay. He, uh, he famously like ran for a UCP nomination and lost. Uh, he's also just kind of been this presence on council, this kind of curmudgeonly, very like Rick McIver-y type of presence, someone who says no all the time, someone who's very concerned about the taxpayer dollar, show me the numbers, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, whether Edmonton has any appetite for that, I, I, I don't imagine. I mean, he has run for mayor before and lost. He actually lost uh, Don Iveson in one of the very few cases where an incumbent lost to an upstart candidate. Mike Nichol actually... Uh, uh, was supplanted by Don Iveson in a municipal race, God knows how many years ago, in like 2006 or 2007 or something. And uh, But he's definitely up the, eyeing the mayor's chair up in here in Edmonton. Michael Walters, I think, definitely has designs on the uh, the mayor's chair. I think that's contextual on whether Iveson runs or not. Uh, I don't know if he uh, if he really wants to take Iveson on. Maybe he thinks he can do it. He he's definitely has a very high opinion of himself. Um, but uh, we shall see. And then um, that's really it, I would think. Maybe Sarah Hamilton thinks she has it. If it's an open seat, Sarah Hamilton might think she can take it on. She kind of comes from the, like, Stephen Mandel world. She might think she can take on the mayor's chair. But there are not a lot of people. Just clearly, Mike Nichol is the only one who's kind of clearly championed at the bit to take take on the mayor's race, whether Iveson runs or not. And everyone else, I think, is kind of lying back and waiting to see what happens. And, and to be frank, like, COVID and the pandemic has really kind of put a crimp in anyone kind of openly campaigning too. So, And Iveson rarely seems to get a lot of uh, opposition in his, in his last campaigns anyway. I'm thinking about the last one too. It felt like he was just running by himself. Yes. The last election, uh, mayoral election here was a joke. Yeah. Like uh, there was not a credible candidate. I think he took like 70% of the vote or something. Yeah. Oh God. 
Wow. Yeah, no, not the case in Calgary. It's always an uphill battle. Uh, it, it's always been for Nahed. I think his first campaign was probably the most positive just because he sort of came up up the middle and, and nobody really saw him coming, but he was just so personable and, and so good with the words uh, that he, he did really well. But yeah, ever since it's been, it's been pretty hard on him. So it uh, must be nice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I, that Markusoff, that Jason Markusoff article and McLean's about Nahed, he seemed to, he seemed pretty beat down and uh, pretty worn out uh, by the, the process of dealing with uh, municipal politics in Calgary for so many years. It seems uh, like an incredibly shitty job to have. I mean, being an elected mm-hmm. official is a shitty job kind of anyways. And like being mayor seems to, uh, you get a lot of shit and you don't actually have a lot of power too, right? So Yeah. No, no, I agree. I guess I was saying it must be nice for someone like Iveson to just, you know, run against pumpkins basically. Like I I don't yeah, yeah. Calgary just seems like I was so exhausted last election and so Edmonton I don't know what it is. Like it's just a more progressive city. I I don't I don't uh, know. It's just no one Iveson just is this like tall, handsome, bland politician who <laughs> It doesn't have any, you know, doesn't have very many ambitions. Uh, Does not have a clear political project that he's like putting forward, and uh, people are happy to say, okay, I guess, you know, I mean, he's, he's, it's not like, I mean, municipal uh, vote turnout in municipal elections is low, right? And mm-hmm. you know, I think it's low for a handful of reasons, but one of which is, I mean, we don't, um, there isn't, people aren't running on the. Uh, you know, changing people's material conditions. People are not running on like, I will make your life better. People are running on like, I will marginally, uh, you know, lower your property taxes, or I will mm. maybe get public transit built, slightly more public transit built over the next 10 years than the next guy. Like it's all on the edges. Like no one is, no one is actually like going out and, and doing politics in a, like a populist, uh, like left-wing approach and saying that, and actually clearly elucidating a political project that is going to make people's lives better and might actually get people to show up at uh, at a polling booth, right? Mm, yeah, that's what we're aiming for. And like, and then she too, I mean, for all the kind of plaudits he gets across Canada as this progressive mayor, like his, he's, he has kind of pretty milquetoast liberal politics and then has uh, been dealt with a reactionary um, kind of city council almost his entire tenure, right? So he's never been able to actually like get shit done you know yeah exactly i think he's just again he's just so personable very good with the words um that even if he might have some blander politics than i would like him to i'd love for him to take some bolder stances um he always just sounds so nice (laughs) yeah and so what are the like let's get into the uh the nuts and bolts what are the like uh, exciting open seats we are likely to see in calgary uh, come the next election well, I don't think people find it exciting, but I would I would definitely argue that it's important. So there's Ray Jones' seat, who I I think is likely retiring. I think he's been on council the longest, along with uh, Diane Collier-Cart. Maybe one of them. God, she's been around forever too. Forever. <laughs> yeah, and and very much not contested. Uh, I feel like that would actually be a award that would be easy to win. Um, but anyway, so back to Ray Jones, though. He he has a ward in Calgary, Ward 10, that I would argue is super important. It's Northeast Calgary. It's incredibly multicultural. And the reason it's important is because it's been so neglected. Um, there's just not a ton of public investment that happens in that area. And I'm sure this is not new to you or anybody else listening to this podcast. But, um, you know, it seems like the amount of things uh, that happen and particularly public investments that happen in your ward seem to be directly correlated with how hard that counselor for that ward is willing to fight and willing to work. Um, Mm. And so I don't think that Ray Jones has been doing a ton. He's one of those counselors that, you know, mostly says no to everything. Uh, It's just an easy vote kind of thing um, when it comes to more conservative politics. Or if he votes yes, nobody notices and just again comes up the middle and just doesn't really offer a lot right um he's just there to vote if if he's even there um and he's near his retirement so i think that will be an incredibly important election or or campaign rather because that part of the city i think needs a lot a lot of care 
Um, other parts of the city that I think are, are good to look at are Shane Keating. He recently announced he's not going to run again. Um, that's more South Calgary, which I think, um, you know, there's, a, I think, more conservative views down there, um, the wealthier incomes and whatnot. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. We know that there's like a, a bit of a UCP insider type that's vying for that chair. And, right, Chandler, baby. Yeah. The UCP's constant embarrassment is going to be running in Shane Keating's empty seat, right? I'm sure you know more about him than I do, actually. I don't I try not to pay oh, he's attention. Just, <laughs> I mean, you'd, you'd be probably be better served to never knowing who Craig Chandler is. But he is a figure in Alberta conservative politics that is uh, hard to ignore. And uh, he's just said and done numerous um uh, fucked up things over the years have been involved in various controversies my favorite craig chandler memory is uh of him i, I was at the um the final the very last ever pc uh, progressive conservative party of alberta um uh annual general meeting and it also coincided i believe with the the leadership race that crowned jason kenny leader of the pcs because that's how he did it right he like took over the pcs first and then reverse take over the uh the uh, mm-hmm. wild rose and uh this was an event uh, it was over. Jason Kenney had been crowned. You know, the the uh, drinks were flowing. It was the uh, the uh, hospitality suites were going. They were buzzing. And uh, I was going from one hospitality suite to the other. And between the, on the on Stephen Avenue between the two convention centers, I come out and uh, um, a bunch of security guards are holding down uh, Alan Hallman, <laughs> uh, oh. reeking of booze. And this was the. Uh, the incident where I believe he was charged with assault. I don't think he ever went to court for it uh, with charged with assault of a security guard. And uh, Craig Chandler is there and he's like bellowing at everyone. He's like, if you want to, if you want the movement to succeed and survive, you got to go inside, not get out of here. I'm like, I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, I'm like, I think I'm standing next to like Emma Graney or whatever. And I'm like, who is that on the ground? I couldn't see him. He had a bunch of people around him. He's like, Oh, that's Alan Hallman. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's why Craig Chandler's bellowing like an idiot. <laughs> Oh, but why, why are they so messy? I, I always, I just don't see a lot of these stories coming out of more progressive people. It's always on the right. It's Craig Chandler is definitely a messy bitch. Yeah. And he is uh, potentially <laughs> going to be on Edmonton or Calgary city council. Uh, but I stepped right. all over you. So, so Keating is going, uh, that is, uh, he was big green line guy. Right. And, and now he's stepping down and Chandler's mm-hmm. the only person who is going to run any other kind of open seats we need to keep an eye on in Calgary. Not, that's it so far, I think. I mean, if Diane decides to step down, I think that'd be a big one. I think it'd be a good opportunity to get a progressive in there. That's the thing is that we're always focusing on the more inner city progressive boards uh, to elect progressive people because we think we don't really have a chance on the outer uh, outskirts of Calgary, the suburbs. But um, the thing is, if you look at the competition that some of these suburban councillors have had, it's not a lot. They outspend their competitors by a ton but the ratio of results the amount of votes that they win by it doesn't match the amount of money that they're putting in so i think uh yeah i I would be looking out for for places like that but it seems like everybody else seems well put and not a lot's going to change unless unless nahed doesn't run well isn't uh aren't giancarlo carra and drew farrell likely to not run again like i've heard uh rumblings that that is afoot as well and those are two of the more progressive kind of lefty voices on city council yeah well full disclosure i I used to work for drew farrell um but even even me having worked for her i actually don't know if she's going to run again and that's that's a fact i've tried (laughs) i've tried to ask and see um so i don't really know i think they're also just waiting it out and seeing how bad it's going to get. I think most counselors start off saying, man, that was awful. The last campaign that we did, I'm exhausted. That's the last one. And they envision that in the next four years, they're going to get a ton done. And what happens is that they get a lot of pushback, four years go by way too quickly. And then, you know, they're feeling themselves again. They're like, well, maybe I can go for another another run. Um, so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't totally discount Drew Farrell. Uh, and Giancarlo... I think he's probably going to run again. I'm not sure what rumors you've heard, but I, I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah, you, I mean, you're closer to it than I am. I'm just saying what I'm hearing second, third hand. So that's uh, <laughs> good to hear. Uh, Edmonton, uh, we have a bunch of, of empty seats. Um, Tony Katarina 
is a very likely to step down. He has a very central ward in kind of Northeast Edmonton that is quite uh, multicultural, has a lot of working class folks. So that's a very interesting race. Uh, I know people are eyeing up that. Um, ben Henderson, who kind of is the kind of very underwhelming counselor for uh, what is the like socialist stronghold of Alberta, uh, like kind of Strathcona and kind of like a Strathcona area south of the river. He is stepping down, and I know a lot of people are interested in that seat as well. Uh, hmm. And um, and McKean, uh, Scott McKean is the counselor for downtown Edmonton. I, I'm pretty sure he's going to run again. I don't know. There's a, he's, I think this would be his third term. I don't know. But those are like kind of like central wards where we might have in, might have open seats. And open seats are always like shit shows. Lots of people are always very interested in open seats just because and no one wants to put in the work to try and unseat an incumbent. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, people do since uh, incumbents have such a massive advantage but again a, a lot of the other potential open seats are very contextual on what Iveson does uh, as we've kind of discussed so w- whether Walters runs again I think is highly contextual on when I whether Iveson uh, runs again like maybe Bev Esslinger maybe it depends not that she would run for mayor but I don't know if she wants to be counselor with a new mayor she might step down I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of speculating at this point but those are the like races in Edmonton that I would be keeping an eye on but those the six seven eight are the, the very central very winnable for lefties and uh, we definitely need to focus on getting good people elected is what I would say about that hmm. and so finally I think it's worth uh, closing off this well maybe a couple more things to talk about but one thing I definitely want to bring up is uh, what do you think the likelihood that we see slates or kind of like quasi municipal political parties in this next uh, election? Oh, yeah. I mean, we kind of we touched on that before quite a bit. Um, so I, I definitely think we're going to see a ton of those. Uh, I already know that on the progressive side of things, there are groups that are gearing up to uh, try to put up a bit of a fight um, and get more progressive councillors elected. I mean, what we were talking about before, I, I was also sort of speculating, but um, it's no secret that usually things in Calgary are half and half. So you need eight votes to win. There's 14 wards plus the mayor. Um, so you need eight votes to get anything done, really. And uh, yeah, it's always kind of right around seven to eight votes, uh, depending on the issue. And so we never really have like a, a certainty that we're going to be able to get things passed. Um, so that all said, we're focusing on ensuring that uh, progressive people stay. So hopefully, you know, Drew Farrell, John Carlo, Evan Willey, who are, are considered the more progressive councillors right now, uh, stay in their seats. And then the rest of them, um, yeah, that we actually try to give them a bit of a fight and get some more progressive people in. But for sure, I think lots of slates are going to be showing up, uh, lots of packs of all different kinds. And that actually might be bad for progressives, depending on how many different progressive groups there are. If they don't work together and they're all trying to elect a a bunch of different progressives in each ward, then we're toast. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've heard rumblings that the conservatives here in Edmonton are raising money and uh, whether it's a, just a very well-funded pack, or whether it's a slate or a quasi-municipal political party, whatever it is, uh, I, I think we're very likely to see a bunch of money sloshing around the municipal election. And, and how that shakes out, I think, depends on a variety of factors. Like, do the candidates actually want to be on a slate together is probably um, one of the bigger ones. Um and and the other question is like, yeah, does, is is the mayor or the leader of the slate like Mike Nickel kind of doesn't really get along with anyone. I don't even think the UCP like him very much, so I don't I don't see him as the like the head of a like conservative slate. So it's it's a it's an interesting time, and uh, I definitely think yeah, lots of money is going to get spent, and how it shakes out is is will depend on a bunch of factors. Um, so. You know, I, I look at other kind of uh, jurisdictions, uh, you know, with uh, kind of longing, right? And I see, you know, socialist and outwardly leftist city councilors in places like, you know, Chicago and Minneapolis and, uh, you know, New York, LA, the big cities. And, um, you know, I wonder when we start having, um, you know, a movement that is capable of electing kind of outwardly leftist, outwardly anti-capitalist elected officials. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering where you, what you think has to happen before we get to that kind of place. Oh, my God. We're talking about Calgary still? Yeah. <laughs> we're so far behind. Um, 
I think, I think people and movements like the ones we're seeing right now are absolutely key to giving you know, politicians and would-be politicians the space to be able to speak their mind. I'm sure that there are progressive politicians, you know, both in Calgary and Edmonton that agree with a lot of the discourse right now uh, around, you know, shifting police resources to to more equitable solutions, uh, like public investments in community services. But they probably don't feel, at least in Calgary anyway, uh, for sure in Calgary, actually, now that I think about how Edmonton had a public hearing on specifically policing. Um, in Calgary, they don't have, you know, the so-called social license to be able to even talk about that yet. Two councillors in the last, I'd say, four years, yeah, uh, tried to bring up critiques of the Calgary Police Services, uh, not even having to do with racial issues. And they just got absolute unprecedented backlash from police officers, from police officer families, relatives, friends, uh, leaders within the community that somehow have whatever connections to CPS. And they were totally censored and just shut down and silenced. Um, So Calgary's political landscape is very much one where we're still on the wrong side of history. We're shaming people for saying the right things. And yeah, I think it's all in the hands right now of the people, of the public, of young folks, especially that are coming out and uh, saying that Black Lives Matter uh, without shame and and with pride. And I think those folks, we, <laughs> community organizers, all of us, are responsible to be able to move the needle so that people can talk about things without fear. Mm-hmm. No, agreed. And you know, I, I think we're a ways away in Edmonton of, of electing any outwardly socialist or anti-capitalist elected officials. Uh, but uh, but you, you you don't get there if you don't try. And, um, you know, if you are a person who is interested in, you know, electoral politics, if you have good politics, you know, hit me up. I'm happy to both run you through the realities of being a candidate as well as the lay of the land. Um, and uh, the more good people who run, the better. If we, if we don't engage in electoral politics, we will get reactionaries who take it over and then we will get reactionary electoral politics. Uh, so I, it is incumbent upon us to engage in electoral politics, but I, I also think that you obviously can't put all of your eggs in the electoral basket, uh, the electoral politics basket. And and we do need to realize that, you know, social change comes about uh, mostly through the streets, right? Like Minneapolis burned down a police station and they disbanded their police force a few days later and kicked the cops out of schools, right? Like direct action does get the goods. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm I'm with you. And, and I think they're just very intimately connected, right? So I, I personally love community organizing a lot more than electoralism and, and having to do, uh, you know, election campaigns. But um, yeah, exactly. We're not going to get anywhere if the ones that are controlling our laws and where we're putting our public funds um, are reactionaries. And uh, and the only way that we can get good people in, I think, is just shifting that needle I was talking about um, so that, you know, things become popular. And right now it's very cool. It's very good that uh, talking about policing and how bad it is and how you know, bad of a solution it is to a lot of our societal problems. Um, it's good that we can actually talk about that. Uh, Calgary, not quite there yet, but I'm confident that the more that we talk about it in other places in the world, uh, the more that community organizers come out, you know, with their signs and, and demand for action, the more that, that electoralism will change for the better. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Romy. Is there any, uh, what's the best way for people to follow you along? You have a a very good Twitter account, but if you have anything else to plug, now is the time to kind of plug your pluggables. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Very good Twitter account is putting it very nicely. Thank you. Uh, I'm just loud and obnoxious, but you can find me at RomyYYC. That's R-O-M-Y-Y-Y-C because of Calgary. It's my home. Um, So yeah, you can find me online. Hit me up as well if you ever want to chat. And uh, that's about it for me. Thanks for having me. 
No, thank you. And and if you like this podcast and you, the listener, if you like this podcast, I know Romy liked it because she was on it for the for a whole hour. But uh, but if you want to keep hearing more podcasts like this uh, and you want more people to listen to this podcast, uh, there are a handful of things you can do which will materially affect that and, and change that and help grow our audience. Uh, one is to share this podcast. If uh, you got a bunch of good insights, if you thought that we were funny or insightful or useful, uh, share this podcast with your friends, your family, your neighbors. Uh, whether you're texting it to them, posting it on your social media walls, uh, you know, making a audio cassette tape and putting it in the mail. I don't really care how you do it, but that is uh, word of mouth is, is very much the strong way, uh, the best way to kind of get the word out. Uh, the other thing is that also really helps us out is that you can uh, leave a comment. No, sorry, not leave a comment, leave a review, uh, preferably a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, it really does help people find the podcast and it makes me feel good about myself when I read five-star reviews. So uh, just, just, consider it purely from an ego burst standpoint for me. And finally, the kind of biggest and bestest and most importantest way that you can support this pod is uh, you can give us money. And the easiest way to give us money is to go to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons and put in your name and your credit card info and become a regular monthly donor for five, 10, $15 a month. Uh, it really does go a long way to making us financially sustainable and viable. And, you know, we have uh, closing in on 300 people who give us money every month and uh, it really does uh, make a really big difference. Uh, also, if you have any notes or thoughts or comments, things you think I need to hear, you can reach me on Twitter at Duncan Kinney and you can reach me by email at Duncan K at progress, Alberta, Thanks so much again to Romy for being on the show. Uh, thank you to Cosmic Famu Communist for the amazing theme. Thank you for listening and goodbye.